you have your Bibles with you, would you open up with me to 1 Samuel chapter 16. 1 Samuel chapter 16, we'll be reading verses 1 through 13 this morning, though we'll be looking at the whole chapter before the day is through. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 1 through 13, as you're opening up there, uh, let me remind you that next Sunday is our church-wide Thanksgiving meal. I'm sure you know this already. Uh, but it's a great Sunday, and there'll be lots going on. We'll be voting on our annual budget next week. We'll be, uh, for 2023, we'll be voting on church officers. It's an important Sunday to be here if you can. Uh, let me mention to you also that if you have questions or want to discuss the budget or have a, a deeper dive into it, that time is available this Wednesday night at business meetings. So it's a simple vote next Sunday morning because we do our discussion on Wednesday night just to make things go a little smoother here in the sanctuary during the budget vote. So this has been our practice for a long time and it serves us well. So I would encourage you if you really want to dig a little deeper into the budget and know more uh, about the budget and sort of the changes that are being made for next year, you'll want to be there for the business meeting this Wednesday night as we handle other parts of the church's business as well, so if you have your Bibles there, open up to 1 Samuel 16. Uh, stand with me, if you would, as we, out of reverence for the reading of the words of our God. The author writes, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, in such a way that as the words on this page are being read, God Himself is speaking to us. Beginning in verse 1, The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul? Since I have rejected him from being king over Israel, fill your horn with oil and go. I, I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. And invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. And Samuel did what the Lord commanded, and he came to Bethlehem. And the elders of the city came to meet him, trembling, and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed as before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shema pass by. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons. Passed before Samuel, and Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. And then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Let's pray together. Oh God, I ask you if you would, please open our hearts and minds today. 
to receive your word. And God, I ask if you would, please let us be changed by it today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Now, this is a judgment-free zone, so I don't judge you if you do, but I don't get particularly anxious before I go to the dentist. Now, some of you do. I understand that. I've, I've heard the stories. I'll be honest, I'm friends with a few dentists, and sometimes I think maybe I should be more anxious than I am, but uh, nonetheless. The reality, though, is, I, I recognize this, many of you get anxious when you go to the dentist. That's not me. I'm going to tell you when I start to twitch a little bit, when I get nervous. It's when I go to the eye doctor. In particular, you might think it's when I get my pupils dilated or it's when they blow the, the, the little bit of air in my eye or whatever else. That's not it. That's not when my anxiety mounts the highest. I'm going to tell you when it is. It's when I'm being evaluated for the best prescription in my glasses. There's a lot of pressure there. I think you know the drill. If not, this is how it works. They put a contraption on your face. As you look through the viewfinder, there's some blurry letters out there in the distance. Letters you can't read anyway. And then a series of lenses passes before your eyes. And what do they say? Do you know? All right, is this better or is this better? Okay. I'm guessing at this point. I have no idea. Okay. All right, now. All right, number one or number two? Let's go with two. All right, well, now number two or number three? Okay, what about this one or this one? This, at this point, I'm realizing I'm making one of the worst mistakes of my life. I, I'm about to have a pair of glasses that I can't see anything out of. I can't tell. It's high pressure. I can't tell the difference. I can't read any of these letters. I don't know what to do. Somehow or another, though, every single time, maybe it's my brilliant eye doctor. I don't know. I wind up with glasses that work really well. But my anxiety the whole time, I'm thinking, I'm going to make a mistake that's going to live with me for at least a year when it's time to get a new pair of glasses. Consider this. Seeing matters, doesn't it? Seeing matters. It's important that we be able to see. It's essential in the things we do in life and the things that we need. It's important to be able to see. We go to great lengths, and rightfully so, to be able to see. We get nervous when we think about the fact we might not be able to see. But consider this. Some of us don't have the gift of being able to see. For others of us, it's a challenge to see. We recognize this. Helen Keller is quoted to have said, to be blind is bad. But worse is to have eyes and not see. Today, we turn our attention to the difference between what we see and what God sees. What it means to have eyes that see and what it means to have eyes that have a vision for what God is doing. You see, I would posit this to you today, that faith is a gift from God that allows us to see what He sees as He sees it. If you really think about it, what faith is, is sort of God's prescription for how we can sort of uh, go from our normal eyesight in the flesh and when we put on the glasses of faith, we begin to see what God sees as God sees it. That's how faith works. We're looking differently. We're seeing differently. Though in our flesh we have eyes, it's not always true that we can see. You see, what faith does is it allows us to see the world as it truly is, and it allows us to see that which truly matters. 
And here in this passage, we're beginning to see the way that even Samuel was susceptible to looking with eyes that are not the eyes of faith, to seeing things differently than the way God sees them, from even susceptible to ignoring the lessons that all of us should learn when we look at Saul's life and miss them because we miss seeing with the eyes of faith. This morning, I simply want to show you three things that faith sees. Three points that will help you see with the eyes of faith. Three things that faith sees this morning. Here's the first. Faith sees the value of obedience. Faith sees the value of obedience. Now, I want you to notice a few things about Samuel in this passage. The first thing that the Lord says to Samuel is this. How long will you grieve over Saul? since I have rejected him from being king over Israel. How long will you grieve over Saul? Grief is one of those things. Now listen, grief is a difficult thing. Don't mishear me. I'm sure some of you are grieving even now. And so I want you to be careful not to hear me say that the Lord's not compassionate with you or loving with you in your grief. But grief is one of those moments, and it's some of those time periods in our lives when we happen to be most susceptible to temptation. We are longing for comfort. We are longing to feel better. We want to feel better about things, and so we might be tempted to think sin will help. Now listen, it's important for us to remind sin will never help us in our grief. It's sort of like in the earliest days of the pandemic shutdowns. I remember thinking, listen, we're shut down here for two weeks. I feel like I'm owed a little junk food here. Well, couple of years and 20 or 30 pounds later, you know, turns out uh, these little special set of circumstances lasted a little longer than I thought, you know. So I want you to consider this. You know, we, went in, we went in on the snow shutdown diet and it turns out it was a year long. You got to be careful. Well, listen, I, I want us to be careful in the face of grief to ensure that we're still being obedient to God. God comes to Samuel and says, even in the face of grief, you need to obey me. You need to follow my word. Now, he comes to him and says, how long will you grieve over Saul since I've rejected him from being king over Israel? It's time to spring to action. Fill your horn with oil and go. And then he tells him the instructions. He's going to send him to Jesse and, and find a king among the sons of Jesse. There's another set of circumstances that Samuel found himself in. Not only was he grieving, he was also afraid. What does he what does he say to the Lord in verse 2? I'm confident you see it there. And Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. We're already beginning to see signs. Samuel had already begun to, sign, begun to see signs of the mental degeneration which Saul was going under. Recognizing he was becoming a ruthless and even wicked man. And so he's afraid that he may be killed. And so you see him being required to be obedient even in the face of fear. And so the Lord gives him the opportunity to protect himself by, in addition to going to do this, he also sends him there to make a sacrifice so that he's not being dishonest, but is going there to make a sacrifice before the Lord. This also soothes the elders of the city as they're afraid that maybe something's gone wrong. You see the way that the people had feared God in the face of Samuel. It's interesting to contrast these People in Bethlehem, these elders of Bethlehem, who have such great fear of the Lord and the consternation they experience when they see Samuel versus the sort of lightness with which Saul treated the Lord. You see the way that the rank and file of Israel was godlier 
than our leadership. But I think you ought to also notice here, verse 4, that Samuel did what the Lord commanded. And he came to Bethlehem, and the elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said, Do you come peaceably? And then Samuel answers, as the Lord told him to answer, I've come to make a sacrifice. This is what obedience is. Obedience, no matter what our circumstances may be, is obedience according to the word of the Lord. Not our own whims and fancies, not our own desires, but we must follow what God says. Brothers and sisters, it's not always easy to obey God, is it? It can be really difficult to obey the Lord. Have you ever been under a great weight of temptation? Have you ever been in a moment where obedience felt like the least, I'm talking about, the least practical thing you could do? The least easy thing you could do? Only faith, only the eyes of faith can see what God sees, the way God sees it, in a moment when obedience is difficult. I think as Christians so often, sometimes simple obedience can be often overlooked. Just just doing what God says. Uh, Think about this for a moment. Doing what God says is never the wrong decision. I I don't think any of us will ever get to the judgment seat of God and say, God, the best I could do, I did it according to your word. I did what you said, and that God is going to be upset with the fact we did it the way he told us to do it. It's simple obedience. Now listen, we recognize and we preach a lot that we need to evaluate our hearts. We need to search out our pride. We need to ensure a starting point of grace. We need to make sure that we're acting out of faith. faith. And of course those things aren't bad, but brothers and sisters, obedience doesn't require calculus. If God says it, we do it. It's as simple as that. Simple obedience of this sort almost always shows that the math is working out. When God speaks and we answer, that means we're doing all the things we should do in so many ways. Their heart may be far. It's at least the first right step. Make no mistake, my friends, it does take faith to see the value of obedience. What seems more boring than obedience? Seems boring, doesn't it? Well, yeah, God says it and I do it. Obedience is boring, but faith sees it as a gracious privilege. Obeying God and following God is exhilarating when you see it by faith. Obedience seems difficult, but faith sees the greater difficulty in disobedience. You're able to see the world as it really is. All sin is an oasis in the desert. It seems like disobedience is going to get you what you want, but it's only getting you further and further away from the satisfaction you need. Imagine what heartache Simple obedience from Saul would have saved in these moments. What difficulties, what challenges. You consider this as well. Samuel easily could have made this about him. He could have made it about his grief and his sadness over Saul no longer being king. Samuel could have made it about his fear. Samuel could have said, all these years I've served you, Lord, and now you send me into this dangerous situation. But God is doing something bigger bigger here that even Samuel can't quite see. And this is why it takes faith to see the value of obedience, because recognize this, Samuel is not only bringing a new king to Israel. Ultimately, through his course of actions, what Samuel is doing is bringing a Messiah into the world. 
And when we trace this story back to the earliest chapters of Samuel, we begin to see the way that God in this little boy who was committed to the Lord was brewing a glory that would trace its way all the way even to Gadsden, Alabama, thousands of years later, where through these actions, eventually our Messiah, our Lord, would come into this world. You see, Samuel is part of something bigger, and we don't have the wisdom and we sure don't have the knowledge to tell God what's right and wrong in any given moment. God says it, we do it, because God knows things we don't know. You see, we often see obedience as a burden, but instead it's an opportunity to see what God is doing in the big picture, even when we can't see it, even when we can't see what God's doing. And this is what Samuel's doing as well. He's forsaking self and with the eyes of faith, seeing the value of obedience and following the Lord. That's why it requires faith, my friends, because it allows us to see something that's bigger than ourselves. And some of these things we won't ever see until until we see the Lord face to face. But that's the beauty of faith today. Not only does faith see the value of obedience, but second of all, faith sees the value of faithfulness. Faith sees the value of faithfulness, a steady, forthright walk with the Lord Jesus. Samuel now, protected with the presence of a sacrifice, begins the process of discerning the Lord's choice for a new king. And I want you to notice what he does in, chapter, in verse 6. Whenever we go somewhere with our kids, sometimes we'll give them souvenir money. Pick out one thing while you're here. You know what kids do? You know what they do? They spring on the first thing they see. I mean, the first thing they see, that money's gone. They've bought their souvenir. And you know what often happens though, right? Later in the day, they see the thing they wish they had gotten. Right? Now consider this, even Samuel's susceptible to this kind of behavior. The first one he sees, verse 6, he sees a king come walking through. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. We almost get Saul 2.0. But verse 7 shows us that God sees what we cannot see. You see, Saul was head and shoulders above the people. He looked like a king. He looked like a handsome and good king. I mean, he is the king we want. Maybe not the king we deserve, but the king we need, it seems like, right? But notice what the Lord says in verse 7. He can see what we can't see. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. From there, a parade of sons come through in verses 8 through 10. And over and over and over again, the Lord says, This is not the one. I have rejected this son. I have rejected this son. I have rejected this son. Finally, Samuel has to ask, Is there another one? And uh, David's father says, Well, there is, but he's tending the sheep. We learned some things about this last son, this youngest son, this ruddy boy. He says uh, he's keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. And he sent and brought him, verse 12. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. And uh, Samuel's had his trigger finger on the 
horn of oil the whole time. So he sees Eliab, he's ready to pour the oil out. Right? Book it back to Ramah. We found the king, it's time to move on. This is a worthy replacement. And yet, now finally God says, no, this is the one, the one that no one expected. Now I think sometimes we may have a little too low of a view of the kingliness of David. There are definitely plenty of descriptions in these early verses and these early chapters in the Samuel narratives that teach us that David was certainly capable. He was certainly physically capable. Though he was young, he was uh, a man of great military prowess, but nonetheless he was clearly overlooked more than likely because of his age, perhaps because of his great service to his father. But here we see the fact that faith sees the value of faithfulness. Samuel had to be taught that that's what God was primarily about. You see, outward appearances are not the full measure of a person. And, and frankly, it's easy to kind of give in to that temptation, is it not? Is it not easy to just sort of assume that whatever you see of someone is all that they are? We seem great, they must be great. They don't seem so good, they must not be so good. But we don't always know what God sees. When the Bible says God looks on the heart, I think it's important for us to understand what that means. The ESV Study Bible says this, that the heart in Scripture refers to a person's inward moral and spiritual life, including the emotion, emotions, will, and reason. That is, God can see what's on the inside. He can see who we are inside. God does not look at all the outward trappings of kingliness. Saul had that in spades. If all we needed was a great military leader, if all we needed was someone who looked the part, we had that already. But instead, God looks on the heart and is looking ultimately for faithfulness on the inside. Ultimately, that's what God is looking for. Even Samuel had remained preoccupied with finding a kingly king, but God's concern was the heart. You see, only faith can see how valuable faithfulness truly is. Uh, only faith can see how valuable faithfulness truly is. We, we don't necessarily value faithfulness as a culture and as a society. We don't naturally, in our natural state, value faithfulness. Faithfulness is often inefficient, isn't it? Faithfulness isn't always efficient. Faithfulness is rarely obvious. We like obvious things. We like results. We like clarity. Faithfulness doesn't always glitter with the highest giftedness. The most gifted people are not always the most faithful people. Faithfulness can be frustrating for both the faithful one and those around them. Faithfulness doesn't always line up with what seems like common sense, and yet it's faithfulness that wins the day. When I was a seminary student, I worked at a nice men's clothing store and had a lot of successful clients who came in and bought their uh, clothing for me there. And I was talking to a very successful man one day. He was there buying some clothes. He was asking me what I do. And, um, you know, I was early 20s at this point. And so uh, he probably knew I wasn't a career man there. And so he's asking me what I was up to. And I told him I was a seminary student down the street at the seminary, the Baptist Seminary. And he said, wow, that's great. And... Um, he said, what are your goals? I mean, like, what do you want to accomplish? And I think he wanted me to spill my deepest, darkest, well, what I would have seen as my deepest, darkest secrets. You know, I want to be president of everything I can be president of. I want to be the pastor of a megachurch. I want to be invited to preach all over the place. I want to be great. 
Now listen, I know you all think I'm the most humble man you've ever met, but I've had those thoughts. <laughs> every, every little preacher boy wishes he could have some of those kinds of experiences. Now, down the line, I've seen people who've had those experiences, and I've learned they're not all they're cracked up to be always. They'll give you what, they, what you think they're going to give you. But I told this guy what I knew I ought to say and what I was striving for in my heart at this point in my life, right? What I, wit, what I hoped I could be satisfied with one day. And so I was trying to fake it till I made it, right? And I said, man, I really hope I can end my ministry faithful to the Lord, faithful to my wife, and a faithful preacher of the word to God's people over a long period of time. And it was one of the strangest experiences of my life because the gentleman got almost visibly angry as I said this. And he said, is that all you want to do? Is that all you want to accomplish? I mean, surely you want to do more than that. And I thought to myself, sir, I'm, I'm fighting this as hard as I can. Right? Because so often we can be so preoccupied with chasing glory and chasing greatness that we forget the basics of what it is. And so what I was trying to do and have still not done perfectly was cultivate a heart that trusted the Lord that if we will be faithful, He'll put us right where He wants us. He'll give us all that we need. Brothers and sisters, faithfulness can be frustrating. Faithfulness doesn't always line up with what seems like common sense. Faithfulness does not appeal to the world. But listen, only faith can allow us to see the value of faithfulness. And those of you who are sitting here, right? Those of you who are a part of this ministry, who are a part of this church, I would encourage you to continually pray that your pastor and your staff will value faithfulness over growing First Baptist Church. Will value faithfulness over making people happy. We'll value faithfulness over being well thought of in the community. We'll value faithfulness over any number of things. Let's put an eye to look to faith and see the value of faithfulness over anything and everything else. You see, faith allows us to see the value of obedience. It allows us to see the value of faithfulness. And finally, faith sees the value of of patience. Faith sees the value of patience. What a challenging verse, verse 14 is. We begin to see what an inward pride and a focus on self begins to do to the soul and heart of a person. The Lord handed Saul over in his sin in this way. Now the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. Now, I don't necessarily think this is a demon, but a recognition that here God is giving over Saul to his inward focus, to his sin, to his self-centeredness. Let me say a brief word about the function of the Holy Spirit here. I know people for whom this is troubling. And then later in the Psalms, what does David say? Let, let not your Holy Spirit depart from me, right? And I've had Christians come to me and say, is it possible for me, like Saul or like David had to pray, is it possible for me to lose the Holy Spirit? Uh, let me remind you that the indwelling of the Spirit here in Saul or in David is not the same as the way the Holy Spirit indwells a believer. 
when uh, the Holy Spirit rushed on a king, the king of Israel, it was for a particular season and for a particular role. They were anointed not only with oil, but by the Spirit himself to do the work which God had given them to do. That was be king. So as soon as God had removed his hand from Saul and put his hand on David, the Holy Spirit left Saul because he was no longer anointed to be king. In this way, then, we recognize this is different for believers because the Holy Spirit descended on the Lord Jesus Christ as prophet, priest, and king, and it has never left him. And so, so long as you're in Christ, and the Bible says, if by faith you've been joined to Jesus, you're in the hand of the Son, and that hand's in the hand of the Father. So, so long as the Son has the Spirit, and so long as the Son has you, you'll have the Spirit. So you don't have to worry about losing the Holy Spirit if you're a believer, But we see here the way that Saul, having lost the kingship and lost the anointing of the kingship, began to descend into a sort of madness. And certainly the Lord in this process, by sending the Spirit, is committing him over to the path he was choosing for himself. Saul's servants then come up with a plan to get someone to come and soothe him in his difficult moments. And so they know of a shepherd boy a ruddy and strong and handsome shepherd boy who also happens to be gifted with the lyre, who can sing songs uh, about the Lord. Isn't it amazing to think that the the ministry that David began with Saul even continues in our lives today? And so often when we're troubled, when we're in difficult moments, where do we go for comfort? Don't we go to David's songbook? Don't we ask him even now at times in the Psalter to, to sing to us to help quiet a troubled soul? What a joy and blessing it is to consider such things. And so it was thus that David was invited into the retinue of Saul. He became a part of Saul's court. And then whenever Saul would be troubled, whenever he would have these bouts of madness led to by the Spirit, David would sing and it would be, bring comfort to him. I want you to consider the place David is in. What he's seeing. He knows something that almost no one else knows, doesn't he? He knows who the next king of Israel is, right? Now, can you imagine being a young man, a capable man, a gifted man, a man who's been anointed by one of the most prominent leaders in Israel's history, Samuel, a man who was towered over Israel in countless ways. Can you imagine having the spirit the way David had the spirit? And the way David himself, ironically, was the one who had to soothe the king to make him even moderately suitable for leadership. I mean, can you imagine having an eyewitness view of the darkest and worst moments of this rejected king and knowing all the while that you are the one to replace him? Can you imagine seeing the way that the leadership of the kingdom is suffering, the way that God's people need a leader, the way that it should matter so much who is in leadership and knowing that you're the solution? Can you imagine how difficult it would be to just simply reach out and take hold of the kingdom? To simply reach out and grab what it seems like God has already given you. You see, for most of us, the strangest part of God's economy is patience. I don't know about you, but God has almost never worked on my timetable. You know, I keep sending up requests. You know, I'll tell you when a good time to do this would be. And I just seem to never quite get the answers as far as timing goes. 
There are times, don't mishear me, there are times when, like Jonathan, faith must lead us to immediately spring into action. But more often, faith leads us to patiently wait on the Lord, sometimes like David, for years. Recognizing by faith that obedience and faithfulness are to be valued higher than success by our own hand. Think about what Moses did when he murdered the Egyptian. He tried to do God's work in Moses' way. But it wasn't until Moses had years and years and years of waiting that he was really ready to lead according to God's word. Imagine for a moment if David had stopped seeing with eyes of faith and had just seen the kingship as the kingship. Imagine if he had just seen Israel as a kingdom that needed a king. And he had just seen the kingship like Saul saw the kingship. as something that belonged to him. David would have missed the bigger picture of what God was doing, and he would have done great damage. He would have done great damage to his own kingship and to the line of kings and ultimately to a lineage from which our Lord Jesus Christ was to be born. You see, David so easily could have taken the reins and taken matters into his own hands and said, God, if what you want to do is have a good king in Israel, let me take care of it. And he could have done it. But faith led him, I would say, to patience, to never lay a finger on the Lord's anointed, to always have a high respect to the office of kingship. Even Saul himself, even as Saul is seeking to murder David, David will not in turn try to take the kingdom for himself. You see, when we look with eyes of faith, even when we don't realize it, we are seeing God's gospel at work. And in these moments, God is brewing a glory in Israel, and he is brewing a glory in David that is far greater than who was going to be king during Israel's golden age. God is not just creating a golden age for Israel in the life of David and in the descendants of David. God is creating a golden age for the cosmos through the rule and reign of David's greater son. Do you see how only faith can grant gospel patience? You see, faith ultimately leads us to value and to see the worth of Jesus Christ. And thus the gospel becomes the heartbeat of all that we are and all that we do. You see, we obey God because what God is doing in the world through Jesus, and we see what Jesus has done, and we recognize that He is worthy and He has enabled us to obey. We are faithful because Jesus has been faithful to us and we know there is no greater good in this world. We are patient because we know God is at work in the world through His Son in ways we cannot see. Brothers and sisters, do you see what faith sees? What an awful thing it would be to get your prescription wrong. What an awful thing it would be to have eyes but to not see by faith what God is doing in the world. How today will you respond to what the eyes of faith can see so clearly? The Lord Jesus Christ with open arms welcome you into His grace. I want to offer an invitation this morning. If you've never put your trust and faith in Jesus, this morning I would love to talk to you about what it means for you to be a Christian. If you, if you turn from your sins and repentance and turn to God in faith through Jesus, I believe you will be saved. So if you need someone to talk to or need a moment to pray, I'll be here and this altar is open for you today. 
Second of all, you may be a believer and you may say, Pastor, I need help seeing. And so for these moments, I'm going to spend this time praying and asking God to help me see all things with the eyes of faith. If you need someone to talk to, you know I'll be here. If you'd like to pray here at the altar in a symbolic way, it's open to you or right where you are, you do business with the Lord today. Finally, you may be looking for a church home. What a joy it would be for me to talk to you today about what it means to be a member here at First Baptist Church. If any of these things your desire, after this prayer, I want to invite you to come. Let's pray together.